Hi folks, I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 17th of July 2012. For newcomers, I always suggest you really make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com because you'll find over a thousand audios for free download. You'll find transcripts too in English. If you go through to the com site, you'll see also Alan Watt Sentient Sentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages for print up. And you can make use of that to understand how we've got to this position where we are today, the changes, the times of changes, the century of change, in fact, they call it, and what that means, how long it's been on the go, who's behind it, the big organizations, the foundations, the the, 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 the gangs, basically, of the richest guys in the world who set up uh, their own clubs in the late 1800s. And then in the 1900s, they formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs with a, a, a partnering club in every country across the planet. They've picked every president, every prime minister for a 100 years. And that's not from me. That's from their own historian, Carol Quigley. So uh, we, we are run through an agenda you see, uh, and they go in 50-year cycles, 100-year cycles for parts of the agenda, but they always get what they want because when you've got a 50-year agenda, you can alter the culture drastically, so much so that uh, prepare them for the big changes and particular changes too that are to come, and that's how it's done. So we accept it quite easily, and, um, and we seem to flow into all the big changes that are made for us, just like people kind of drifted into the EU amalgamation without even knowing really what it was all about. Or it was, some people didn't even know what was going on at the time. And Australia is getting to going through the same thing now as well with the Far Eastern Pacific Rim group and uh, New Zealand as well. But it's all planned 100 years ago. And here we all are. Now, the next step is sustainability and uh, the, the new cities, the mega cities, as you call them. The UN, you, you, the UN came out with this a long time ago, mega cities, but it's even older than that. You can go back to the 1940s when they talked about creating super high mega cities. Each one would be comprised of maybe four or five uh, massive skyscrapers that could hold up to half a million people each. And you'd be born in them, you would live in them, uh, you go to school in them, and then you go into work in them, and you die in them. Uh, I'm not kidding about this. This is all part of Agenda 21. Very old idea, and we're well on the road to it today. Most folk will go into it because they make it appear so appealing, especially to the young, and there'll be all kinds of incentives as well. Uh, initially, of course, to pay a cheaper rent, etc., until they get you all in it, of course. But that's the world you're going into. So remember, help yourself to the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and you can buy the books and discs, hopefully, from my site to keep me going because I don't bring on sponsors or advertisers uh, that support me. I have no shares in any products that are sold whatsoever. Um, I'm just going to giving out the basic facts uh, of what's happening today, if you can handle them. Some people cannot handle them, and that's fine with me. 
So from the US to Canada, remember you can order using personal checks or international postal money orders, or you can use send cash, or you can use PayPal. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And really, I mean this, the nations are awfully, awfully welcome in these times. But we're going through this so so quickly, as I say. We're the most informed slaves that have ever walked the planet. Really, for the people who listen to, to broadcasts like this, uh, we know what's going on. The problem is, what do you do about it, of course? And you all know, you all know out there uh, that all you can do is prepare for yourself and hope that, or even even go to a place where you know it's going to be the last place to be touched by them and, and live out a few years in, in relative uh, normality and hope for the best. But if we're in all the so-called first world countries, it's being rammed down because, as I say, all the machinery to make everything happen is already in place. It's been in place for years when everyone was sleeping. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix and you understand we're living through a long, long term agenda, but it's really coming to a head now when things that were planned for so many years are actually taking shape before us and they're pushing for the next part of what they call civilization. It won't last too long, mind you, because they've already said at their Department of Defense think tanks that uh, there'll even be a global government for a short time and then it's back to uh, very high-tech city-states for the very wealthy uh, few. And uh, the rest of the people have died off by then because they don't have children, they're becoming sterile, etc. But in the meantime, they want to build these massive... um, high-rises to to house uh, the people during that period. So we're going through the the whole agenda now, and they've prepared the minds of the people for so long. Lots of the young people have been brought up as greenies. They've been brainwashed since kindergarten, in fact, and uh, they're they're all ready uh, to do what they're told and all be happy and try and get along, etc., until they're all churned into uh, these big uh, skyscrapers and forced to interact with each other because they're going to be awfully crowded. I had to laugh too, I was reading an article about that today, and the the proponents for these massive skyscrapers that'll hold half a million people uh, say that it'll force people to interact and get along by such close proximity. For the young, again, there'll be lots of entertainment, lots of free sex and all that. So they will go into that just like they went into cities in the first place. That's why they go. They get lured by the lights and they think they will have the fast life. And, and of course, there'll be lots of, of um, free sex around. So they will get their way one way or another. But in the meantime, we're going through it all as to try to get people off the land and into uh, these new areas, these new greening areas, as I like to call it. I can remember years ago, too, listening to a guy from NASA. Uh, then they were showing some of urban sprawl, they called it. And he, he, he actually called it urban sprawl, and it sounded terrible. See, as, as psycholinguistics, you use negative words to leave an impression in a person's mind, rather than just say uh, urban population. So there's a sprawl. So a negative thing. And uh, he, he uh, wanted them all off the land years ago. And here they are going to do it. Now, part of it too is multiculturalism. 
big, big part of it. It's, it's quite amazing how it came out from Britain, from Tony Blair's right-hand man, the assistant prime minister, who said that he was told to open the floodgates in order to destroy the British culture forever. And they really are fanatics, these guys that want this EU to succeed. But the EU is only one part, because it's been North American Union as well. It's still going on, by the way. And uh, the other one was the Pacific Rim region. And uh, Britain's going through this today. And other countries too, like in Scandinavia, that generally uh, kept themselves to themselves for a long time, are being forced a big battle to come, lots of, of angst to be caused, because they have sent in people from America and other countries to getting paid by the government, in fact, of Sweden, for instance, to bring in massive immigration uh, and bring in forced uh, multiculturalism. So that's going to upset a lot of people there too. But this is the only way they can do it to save the euro and Europe itself. You see, this is a big, very old plan. Now, as I say, getting back to Australia, it's getting hammered right now because they've never, they're really catching up quickly within a matter of like one year. They're catching up to what Britain's been at for years. But it says tens of thousands of low-paid migrants could be allowed into Australia to work as waiters, kitchen hands and cooks. Foreigners and cheap wages are a better option than unemployed Australians, industry experts say. They want visa restrictions dropped, including English language levels, so migrants can be brought over to ten bars, drive tour buses, wait tables and staff casinos. In a submission to the federal government, the tourism group wants migrant workers to plug gaps in tourist hubs such as Melbourne. They say a job shortfall of 36,000 will balloon to 56,000 in the next four years. Unions blame low wages and long hours for the shortage. And so uh, it's, it's definitely rushing ahead. And um, everyone must become ultra, very diversely so, multicultural in order to destroy the original cultures. And that's the agenda. Uh, I listened to an, uh, one person who was went, sent to Sweden and she actually said that, that that was her job to enforce multiculturalism and getting paid by the government to do it. To destroy, it's to destroy the cultures, basically. You can't bring in a passive new world order, you see, of populations to live in all these new uh, super mega cities until you've, you've uh, basically made them all, uh, brought them all down to the same level uh, and forced them to just get along, even though technically you can't, because people really are different. And one of the proponents for all this uh, said this himself, and that was Theo Adorno. He said that, um, People are not all the same. People are different, and, and cultures are different, and, uh, and and different races are different from other races, he says. We'll have to force it along, he said, but they are different. You can't expect one person from one country to just behave like another person. It's not in them. They are different. They are different. That's the human race. We've got a lot of differences. But they want to standardize us all, regardless of, of what it takes. So there'll be a lot of chaos. And the G4S, or G4s, as they like to call themselves, this private army that uh, does security and military and all the rest of it, um, have had to accept the fact that Britain is sending in the military as well because they couldn't fill all the jobs that they had to get just for this Olympic Games. This is after the G4s, who still thinks that outsourcing works? This is with a third of Whitehall civil servants' cuts, their already doubtful ability to write clever contracts weakens further, 
and it says the G Force shares plunged as police were drafted into guard the Olympics. Amidst warnings, more soldiers will be needed. Uh, yet another outsourcing company collects profits when all goes well, and the state picks up the pieces if the company fails. Soon, much of the state may be too atrophied to step in. Exactly a year ago, the Cabinet Office published its Open Public Services white paper. It's called The Master Plan for Dismantling the State. For those who didn't hear it, Master Plan for Dismantling the State. With any qualified provider, that's private corporation, and default deliverer of virtually every public service. The Cabinet Office is the ideological hub of the Cameron government's mission to dismantle the state. For fear they might only get one term, as governments everywhere are routinely ousted, they are dashing to secure that indelible legacy. The plan is to outsource so much that reconstructing public services will be impossible in the future. Seeing how easily their cuts rubbed out labour legacies, they have read but doubled their intent to leave an ineradical stamp with its biggest wave of outsourcing ever. That's what they do now. They, they make so many laws and everything else, they said it would take years to unravel them to try and get back to the old way, so it will never happen. You see, we're being privatized. We are being privatized for the new megacities too. Because in the megacities, you'll, you'll be literally run like a prison camp, folks, with the private corporations, with the private armies and private police. David Cameron warned any civil servant standing in the way of bidders. He says, if I have to pull those people into my office and get them off the backs of business, then believe me, I'll do it. If the G4 slogan, securing your world, is embarrassing, Cameron's state demolishing mission faces even worse reputational damage. Don't forget, this is an ongoing program. I mean, Blair helped to multiculturalize it, to destroy the culture, and he said that, and his Nixon command said it too. And mainstream media, I've read it here in the air. Government will always contract and procure from the private sector, but it shouldn't be a matter of ideology. Half of London's councils collect their own bins, the others outsource. Those are easily measured services, but no one audits and, and compares, so we don't know which is best. In fact, you nothing to, they show you nothing as to how it improves anything. It always gets more expensive. But remember too, Carl Quigley said, this new system they're bringing in is a feudal system. For those who don't understand feudalism, the vast amount of the people were peasants, and uh, they were run by lords and overlords. And Quigley said that the new overlords will be the CEOs of big corporations. That's the world that's been brought in. And... um, it says, Margaret uh, Hodge, the, the dynamic no-nonsense chair of public accounts committee, protests that it's impossible to know who profiteers uh, from the public purse. Under the guise of commercial confidentiality, her committee is denied information with no transparency on value for money. Freedom of information laws don't cover private companies, even when using taxpayers' money. Isn't that great, isn't it? Often the only efficiency gain is paying workers less. One council's bin men I interviewed were on six different pay rates, depending on where they were employed, each new contractor or agency paying less. The lowest paid needed their uh, wages subsidized by the taxpayer via tax credits. So who wins? So anyway, everything is, is going this way, and this is the new way of the future. It's already happening in the States, Canada, and everywhere else too. And... There's a little article here. It's kind of interesting here. I don't know where they'll go with it, but um, it's to do... You, you always get people in every age who try to bring in a form of, of communal work for themselves. 
And uh, this article goes on about the Magna Carta in Britain and so on. And it's by George Monbite, who's often wrong about everything. But um, he's actually got some an interesting article here. It says, Hounded by police and bailiffs evicted to wherever they stopped. They did not mean to settle here. They'd walked out of London to occupy disused farmland on the Queen's estate surrounding Windsor Castle. Perhaps unsurprisingly, that didn't work out very well, but after several days of pursuit, they landed two fields away from the place where modern democracy is commonly supposed to have been born, supposed is the proper word for it. At first, this group of mostly young, dispossessed people who, after the 17th century revolutionaries, call themselves diggers, 2012, camped out on the old rugby pitch of Brunel University's Runnymede campus. It's a weed-choked uh, complex of grand old buildings and modern halls of rev- residence whose mildewed curtains flap in the wind behind open windows, all mysteriously abandoned as if struck by a plague or a neutron bomb. The diggers were evicted again and moved down the hill into the woods behind the campus, pressed as if by, by ineluctable force of history ever closer to the symbolic spot. From the meeting house they have built another cluster of tents and you can see them across the meadows where the Magna Carta was sealed almost 800 years ago. So they want to be self-sufficient. Good luck to them, but they ain't going to allow it. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix. A long time ago as well, at the United Nations they decided to uh, basically uh, go after the family units, big time. That's part of the Communist Manifesto. And to bring down populations, they said that they would promote homosexuality and other kinds, things that would not breed children, and that was really part of it too. But they also used it to, to create schisms in society, so you get everyone fighting everybody else over different values, etc. This is an ideal example of it here. Remember, it's a very old agenda, as I say, the League of Nations, even before the United Nations, promoted the same thing. But it says, coinciding with London's gay pride celebration this past weekend, Deputy Prime Minister Nick Clegg hosted a rainbow flag, an emblem of gay, lesbian, transgender and bisexual activism over the Whitehall building for the first time ever. Clegg accompanied this public support for same-sex marriage by expressing his personal opinion that churches in England should be allowed to perform those unions if they wish, a statement contradicting Prime Minister David Cameron's June pledge. Well, Mr. Clegg isn't a Christian. He he does belong to a group, but it's not Christian. I'll leave that to you. So Clegg, who received permission from local council to fly the flag, said the flag represents a small but important emblem for gay activism in the country. There has to be a first time for everything, and flying this iconic flag in the heart of Whitehall is a small but important emblem that the government and this country are behind equal rights, he said in a statement. And he goes on and on and on. It's really grandstanding by a politician for, to, to, to give her more votes and all the rest of it, so you obviously see. But it's also fulfilling, as I say, the old, old agenda to destroy uh, traditional marriage. And they like homosexual uh, systems for the upcoming world because they, they won't have children. They won't breed children. At least the ones that some of them can do it. If they can afford to do it, they get a surrogate woman to carry the child and all that and get uh, artificial insemination. But, but most of them can't afford that. And... Um, as I say, it's grandstanding and it's divide and conquer, as they always do, you see. Always do this. Standard techniques. Also, as I say, I've mentioned so many times, you see, we're so corrupt now. We accept corruption quite easily. We don't get uh, upset about anything anymore. And um, 
and that was all by design as well. But uh, he's an article here about a television presenter who was a trader for television, and he's now been jailed himself for fraud. And it says here, a television presenter whose job was to prevent people being ripped off has been sentenced to 12 weeks in prison for benefit fraud. Dan Penteado, who worked on the BBC's Rogue Trader and Watchdog programs, admitted eight offences of dishonestly or knowingly claiming council tax and housing benefits worth more than £24,000. Bournemouth magistrates heard how he, he had neglected to mention earning more than £56,000 for his television work over three years. The 40-year-old failed to tell officials about one of his bank accounts, where he first filled in a claim form in 2007 and repeated the fraud over four subsequent years. They heard that Pantiodo, who has worked alongside television presenter Matt Allwright since 2001, received £24,077 in housing and council tax benefits that he wasn't entitled to. So, pretty well everybody is up there in any way, shape or form. It's just corrupt. Folks, this is the way we live today. Because it's all moral relativity. They've been brought up with moral relativity. There's no right, there's no wrong, and uh, it's all your way of, you look at things. And, uh, you know, this is what happens to some of them at the, on the low level, this guy's low level, but that's what happens. And, and then you go into this one here, uh, the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank Corporation. Um, it says the chief quits in front of the U.S. Senate committee as the bank is accused of letting Mexican gangs launder $7 billion and working with Saudi bank linked to terrorism. Now, the HSBC, by the way, Cameron's grandfather worked for that at the time when he was, he belonged to a different group, you might say. But anyway, the Bank of Hong Kong was set up in the first place to launder drugs. That's it was, it was purpose. And, of course, they brought in all the opium and stuff into Britain initially for the Rothschilds. And they put into all the medications to make people feel better. Didn't matter what it was. It was cough mixture, whatever. It was the opium. And then when it got banned in Britain, he, they simply started to do elsewhere. They brought China down with bales of opium, of course. And uh, he was part of that deal, too. So that was one of his main functions. Anyway, it says here, that um, they moved a large sum from Mexico into the U.S. between 2007 and 2008, pro- provided services for Saudi Arabia's Al-Raji Bank linked to financing terrorism, and the Senate investigation suggests it also moved money tied to Iran, uh, accuses Bank of pervasively polluted culture, and another hammer blow to the credibility of British banking system after Barclays was fined for allegedly rigging the LIBOR interest rates. I don't know how they rigged it, because they've all been at this for years. All the banks have been at this. The head of compliance, the British banking giant HSBC, resigned, it says. And um, David Bagley, who's been the HSBC head of group's compliance since 2002, stepped down before the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Subcommittee after its findings were published. He had a 20-year career with the bank and is based in London, said despite the best efforts and intentions of many dedicated professionals, the HSBC has fallen short of her own expectations and the expectations of our regulators. Well, it's fallen short because of the caught, you see. And it won't stop them. I mean, the banks will carry on doing the same old stuff it's always done. They'll get a little fine and all that. Now, I've mentioned for, from the start, the computer was given to the public uh, even, you know, Kissinger talked about it and Brzezinski talked about that back in the 70s. He said a method of communication, mass communication, will be given to the public eventually. 
They'll think it's for their own good, but of course all science is given to the public for control purposes. All of it. It's always been that way. But it says, um, oh, that's the music coming in, so I'll read this article when I come back from these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix, reading about Google, for instance. And Google is definitely part of the NSA. Remember, they're all privatized, and that's the ideal way that they want it all. And they get away with much more when they're private, you see. They're not responsible to the public or to the governments. That's why this new feudal system, as quickly as said, is run by top corporations. Anyway, this is a, a handout, public relations handout, obviously, put straight into the newspaper, into the mail online. See, most of the, what you read now is, is just handouts from their public relations departments for all these big corporations, and you don't even know it. But it says, uh, I'm feeling lucky. Google turns its search powers to hunting down the world's most wanted. Oh, see there. Oh, that's, that's nice of them, isn't it? Google's engine is the most powerful search tool ever created, and now the Californian giant aims to use its power for goods. See, you can tell they wrote it themselves. Instead of just finding kitten videos, Google aims to use its technologies to crack through the cyber defenses of international crime. It's working with international crime organizations to find backdoors into international gangs of terrorists, drug dealers, and human traffickers. And um, this is Google's ideas. And Google's think tank is working with the Council on Foreign Relations. Oh, well, who'd have ever thought of that? And other organizations to look for ways to use technology to disrupt international crime. Now, remember, international crime has a lot of definitions, especially today when you've, you've got wrong think and, and you've got opinions and wrong think, you see. Uh, they, they do attack your computers, too, and get backdoors put into them. Drug cartels, terrorists, human traffickers, and criminal gangs run their organizations via the web, often using advanced encryption technologies to conceal themselves from law enforcement. But global anti-crime organizations hope that Google's technologies could be the keys to breaking into these elusive groups. Officials from Google and groups that combat illicit networks will meet Tuesday and Wednesday in Westlake Village, California, to develop strategies for fighting global crime. So they become a policeman now. Isn't that nice? And it says Google is in a great position to take these on, said Rani Hong, a survivor of child trafficking in India, who is now a special advisor to the United Nations, of course. They're a powerful medium and they have great tools to solve the problem. You understand that most of the human trafficking we've seen is through the United Nations. Do you, do you know that? Wherever they put their troops in, you get human trafficking and, and they also have massive prostitution clubs, boys, girls, very young. And this is old stuff. They even put a movie about it not so long ago. I might try and remember the name of it and, and let you know what to, to, it's, it's based on what happened in Kosovo. Anyway, it says that dozens will attend the summit, including Kimi Weeks, a former abducted child soldier from Liberia, uh, joining Pablo Escobar, son of uh, slain Colombian drug lord Pablo Escobar, Assistant U.S. Defense Secretary Andrew Weber, and Brian Dodd, who directs the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration's counterterrorism and transnational crime efforts. 
It might sound like a different path for Google, but technology companies today have a lot of powerful tools to bring transparency to these illicit networks to fight back against corruption and empower those who are trying to combat transnational crime, said Patrick Stewart, or Stuart Patrick, senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, who helped organize the conference. You can't, you can't do anything with it without the Council on Foreign Relations, because they are, by the way, for those who don't get it yet, the parallel government that was set up by the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They are the parallel government. We all know that bad guys use the internet, but we're saying the internet can also help stop those criminals, etc., etc. And uh, this week's gang follows a conference held in Dublin, Ireland last year that brought together more than 60 former gang members to focus on how to end violent extremism. So, as I say, they become the policemen, and then they'll expand the powers and expand the powers. And with the United Nations and the CFR uh, pulling the strings, there'll be political correctness and who's, who's not being politically correct in what they say on the net and all the rest of it. And also tonight, I put up, uh, for those who watch the, the chem trails going on over so many years and how they can either dissipate clouds by spraying over them and they disappear, they cause droughts, or they can actually cause it to rain and flood you if they want to, because you can do both quite easily. You'll find that with, at all the weather warfare treaties they've signed, if you look into the United Nations. I'll put up Carnicom Institute, and Carnicom.com, of course, is a guy who really started the first main uh, investigations into the chemtrails and what they consisted of and got the testing done, which is up on his site as well. By the way, all the different, there's even arsenic in some of these things, never mind the cadmium and the, the barium and the aluminum oxide. So I'll put this up tonight for you too, for those who, who are still on the sidelines, because they never look up, and they can't imagine anybody would ever do that to them. That's why these things are able to go ahead and be done to you. Also in Australia, again, we're getting hammered. This is with China on the rise and Europe on the decline. Australian tourism operators are being told they need to gear up for more big growth in Chinese tourism. Federal Tourism Minister Martin Ferguson says in the 12 months to May, the number of Chinese visitors to Australia was up 17% in the year before, while visitors from Europe were down almost 3%. So he's speaking at the National Tourism and Events Excellence Conference in Melbourne Tuesday. Ferguson said the unsurprising fall in European visitors was led by falls in German and UK markets and due mainly to Europe's economic problems. By contrast, all the key Asian markets were up led by China, which had 577,000 visitors to Australia in the year to May, India up 4.6%, Indonesia up 7.2%, and Japan up 7.1%. What these figures tell us is that Australia's tourism operators will need to cater to growing visitor numbers from China and Asia more generally in the coming years. And a lot of them will come over, of course, and start buying up the land, which they're already doing, including the farmland and areas where there's water supplies. Uh, this is supposed to be a victory. I don't know if it is. It says it's BPA is no longer allowed in baby bottles. The federal government announced Tuesday that baby bottles and sippy cups can no longer contain the chemical bisphenol A, or BPA. The U.S. Chemical Industries Chief Association, the American Chemistry Council, has asked that the Food and Drug Administration to phase out rules allowing BPA in those products in October after determining that all manufacturers of bottles and sippy cups had they already abandoned the chemical due to safety concerns. Is it legal for companies to use substances, substances not covered by the FDA rules? Well, they only managed it for 80 years, eh? 
Consumers can be confident these products do not contain BPA, he said in a statement adding the agency's actions was based on the bottle industry's phase-out of the chemical. But mind you, this stuff, once it's in uh, one generation, is passed on to the next three. Uh, and it's a pretty deadly chemical for sterilization, actually, and other things, too. And I'll also put up tonight, too, to do with um, the ghost towns of America, because they've got videos out now in the ghost towns. You see, that's why they're ghost towns now. They're going to, you're going to end up living in these massive high-rises uh, that were planned a long time ago for under the Smart Cities programs and led by IBM. They've been at this for many, many years because they knew this 50 years ago. They were going to bring these in at uh, this phase uh, of transition, as they like to call it. Anyway, it says... Um, in this, this article here, it says, Anastasia Cherkina travels to Gary and Diana, America's ghost town, one of the most dangerous places in the country that used to boom with industry and is now an urban desert. So you can see what's happened to the U.S. But we don't have to worry about that. You see, we're still paying China and giving them special deals and sending cash over there to make sure that they succeed, and India too now. So that's the way it's planned. Do you understand those who rule the world are internationalists? And even though they might base a company in your country for a little while, they have no problems like GM uprooting and going to China and uh, going bye-bye to you. It's, that's how they are. Now, this company is just amazing. GlaxoSmithKline, they're always getting in trouble, but they, what they get really is small little slats on the wrists, which amount to nothing at all. Plus, they have um, a government sort of uh, contracts, the government will actually pay their fines for them. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, all, most of the big companies have got that now, in fact. But it says, uh, Glasgow Smith Klein clinches 3.6 billion human genome deal. So now they've got all that data for the human genome project. The shadow of job losses looms following GlaxoSmithKline's announcement. It will acquire Human Genome Sequence Sciences, Inc. for $14.25 a share as big farmers race for biotech companies heats up. And um, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that and where it all goes. But... Uh, there's a lot of information to get on. It's all of, on all of us, of course. That's what they've got. Iran, is an interesting statement came out of Iran. Not, you know, the, the people over there in the Middle East, I can remember when they were warning Americans, because Americans are so ignorant, they've, they've been brainwashed, and seemingly the British and everybody else and Canadians. They were warning them of who ran America. Americans think they know who ran it, but they, they're wrong. They don't run it. And they used to yell at and try to tell you, but nobody listened. But they also are, are really wise to what's going on in warfare techniques. They have to be because they've been getting them used on them and different methods of, of, of soft war, they call it. And under soft war, you can have um, uh, the lower parts of the, of the weather warfare industry involved. But Iran's drought, they say, is part of its soft war by the West. And it says the droughts in southern Iran is part of a soft war launched against the Islamic Republic by the West, the FARS new agency quoted an Iranian vice president as saying on Monday, or vice president, I'm suspicious about the drought in the southern part of the country, Hassan Mousavi, who also heads Iran's cultural heritage and tourism organization, said at a ceremony to introduce the nation's new chief of meteorological department. 
It says the world arrogance and, and colonist, they use the word colonist, termed by the Iranian authorities to label the West, are influencing Iran's climate conditions using technology. The drought is an acute issue and soft war is completely evident. This level of drought is not normal. Iran has experienced several droughts in recent years, especially in the south where it was hit in recent weeks by violent sandstorms that engulfed several cities. Sandstorms particularly enter Iran from um, neighboring Iraq, where desertification has increased over the last two decades due to the wars. <laughs> I mean, look at this, what they've got now, thanks to the wars. Last year, Iranian President Mahmoud uh, Ahmadinejad accused Western countries of devising plans to cause drought in Iran, adding that European countries are using special equipment to force clouds to dump their water on the continent. And that's true. As I say, they can either disperse clouds, they can move clouds, and they can cause it to rain wherever they want it to rain. Iranian leaders claim on, on a daily basis that Western countries led by arch foe the United States devise plots in many forms to undermine the Islamic Republic and to impede its economic and scientific development. Well, that's all true, as admitted in the West. They also accuse Western power, world powers of colluding against Iran's national unity, independence, political establishment, culture, as well as international relations. Well, that's true as well, because the big boys said a long time ago they would not allow any uh, Muslim nation, basically primarily Muslim nation, to ever have any power at all, especially in weaponry. So uh, what they're saying is true. Here's a, 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 a cry for help, obviously, but they'll never get what they want. But Iraq wants all its, the U.S. stolen archaeological treasures back. Remember when they went in there, they stole, they plundered the museums and so on. So they want all the U.S. stolen archaeological treasures back. And um, this is stolen by the U.S. forces in 2003. But Washington has offered to return only half. At least they've got it. I mean, you know. The other half is in Israel. Because remember, during the time they said they were, they were actually fencing it to private collectors in, in, in the U.S. via Israel. Iraq rejected the offer made by the United States to bring half back of the Iraqi Jew, Jewish uh, archive. They have a Jewish archive there too. Previously transferred from Baghdad to the United States during the U.S.-led invasion of the country, insisting that Baghdad had to restore the whole archive. Iraqi newspaper Al-Sabah reported Sunday the archives include centuries-old Torah scrolls and plenty of other documents in Hebrew, Arabic, and English, it says here. So, uh, good luck to them, but they won't get it, obviously. The article 2 about the LIBOR scandal, the, the, the rate rigging for the banks, it says they all knew and no one acted. The regulators claimed they knew nothing uh, thrown into doubt uh, as documents show authorities were told of rate rigging. And um, Ben Chu is Independence Economics Editor. Previously, he was newspaper's chief leading writer. And he talks about it and says, A cache of documents released yesterday by the New York Federal Reserve showed that U.S. officials had evidence from April 2008 that, that uh, knowingly posting false reports about the rate at which it could borrow in order to assuage markets concerned about its sol- or concerns about its solvency. So they were rigging the whole damn thing. And uh, the Bank of England was well aware of it too. They kept phoning them up over four years. An unnamed Barclays employee told the New York Fed analyst uh, Fabio Ravasolo on April 11, 2008, so we know that we are not uh, posting um, an honest LIBOR. He said Barclays started under-reporting LIBOR because graphs showing the relatively high rates at which the bank had to borrow attracted unwanted attention and the share price went down. 
The verbatim note of the call released by the Fed represents the starkest evidence yet that LIBOR fiddling was discussed in high regulatory circles years before Barclays recent £290 million fine. The New York Fed said that immediately after the call, Ms. Ravazolo informed her superiors of the information, who then passed on her concerns to Tim Geithner, who was head of the New York Fed at the time. Mr. Geithner investigated and drew up a six-point proposal for ensuring the integrity of LIBOR, which he presented to the British Bankers Association, which is responsible for producing the LIBOR rate daily. Mr. Geithner, Geithner who is now U.S. Treasury of, uh, Secretary, also forwarded the six-point plan to the Governor of the Bank of England, Sir Mervyn King. The bank pointed out last night that there was no evidence in their Geithner letter of banks, banks actually making false submissions, although then uh, notes did, the note did allude to incentives to misrepresent. <laughs> it was included last night when Mr. Mr. Geithner informed Sir Mervyn about the testimony of the Barclays employee who said that the bank was being dishonest in its submissions. Well, they've already got... Reports from Sir Mervyn, who said he kept warning them over a span of four years, so he knew about it. But um, nothing will happen about all this, of course. Because I see in Britain, uh, I think in its whole history, they've never put any bankers in prison for anything that's ever been done. Uh, that's fact. Yeah. In the States they have, but not in, not in Britain. And this article here is about um, farmers in Brazil. It says farmers have had enough with Monsanto's royalty taxes and penalties. In case you're wondering how much or how Monsanto has risen to the ranks of a superpower, a major reason is their patent on GM seeds like the GM soya seeds in Brazil, which account for nearly 85% of the country's total soybean crop. Each GM seed is patented and sold under exclusive rights, and you have to go back every year to buy them. Therefore, farmers must purchase the GM seeds every year because saving seeds, which has been a long traditional way, is considered to be patent infringement, so you can't save seeds. Anyone who does save GM seeds must pay a license fee to actually re-sow them. But that's not all. In Brazil, Monsanto has charged farmers a 2% royalty fee on all of their Roundup-ready sales since 2005. Your sales as well. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back talking about one of the big giants, of course, because Monsanto is to be, it's really the, the premier flagship for, for GM across the whole planet. Every prime minister is on board with it. Uh, of course, they're all getting paid off really well for it. And, uh, they want to control all the food on the, on the whole planet. And another company will own all the water. That's the way it's going, you see. It's supposed to be that way. But anyway, as I said, they've been really sucking it to the farmers in Brazil. And it says in Brazil, Monsanto has charged farmers a 2% royalty fee in all their Roundup-ready sales since 2005. And they test all the soya seeds marketed as non-GM to be sure they don't contain any Monsanto seeds. If they are found to contain the patented seeds, the farmers penalize close to 3% of the sales. The issue with the latter penalties that GM soy is very hard to contain and often contaminates nearby fields, so farmers are forced to pay a penalty for having their fields contaminated with GM crops through no fault of their own and likely against their wishes entirely. 
For years now, farmers have been taking Monsanto to court over their excessive fees and taxes, and in 2009, a group of farmers sued the company, claiming Monsanto's tax was illegal because it was impossible to keep GM seeds away from the non-GM varieties. A judge ruled that the tax was illegal, especially since the patents on Roundup Ready seeds in Brazil already expired. Monsanto was ordered to stop collecting oil royalties and to return all the royalties collected since 2004, an amount that could add up to a minimum of $2 billion. Monsanto appealed, but in June 2012, the Supreme Court dismissed it, so it looks like Monsanto is going to be getting their just desserts. And also France and India also find Monsanto guilty. Earlier this year, French court found Monsanto guilty of chemical poisoning in a case involving a French farmer who suffered neurological problems after exposure to Monsanto's lasso weed killer. A few years before that, a French court again found Monsanto guilty, this time of falsely advertising its Roundup herbicide as biodegradable, environmentally friendly and claiming it left the soil clean. France has also recently asked the European Commission to suspend Monsanto's authorization to plant genetically modified, uh, it's called Monsanto MON810 corn, citing significant risk for the environment shown in recent scientific studies. And the, and the, the link to, to the study is on this particular site that I'll put up tonight at cuttingthroughthemedics.com. Meanwhile, India's National Biodiversity Authority, a government agency, is suing Monsanto and their collaborators, the Maharashtra uh, Hybrid Seas Company, for stealing local varieties of eggplant to develop a genetically modified version. India requires that any entity attempting to use a native plant for commercial uh, or research purposes must first get approval. Monsanto, however, neglected to do this. They're just like gangsters, Monsanto, aren't they? They just go ahead and make their own laws up opting instead to essentially steal the native plants in order to modify them for their own commercial gain. The case marks the first time a government has accused Monsanto of biopiracy, and the results could set an important precedent for the future of the food supply. And then they're involved in lawsuits over mass contamination and illnesses. Uh, um, Monsanto is also facing a class action lawsuit involving tens of thousands of residents from Nitro, West Virginia, where a Monsanto chemical plant produced the herbicide 245T, a component of Agent Orange. The suit alleges the company spread toxic substances, primarily carcinogenic dioxins, all over the city. And in Aniston, uh, Alabama, Monsanto plants produced toxic chemicals called PCBs, polychlorinated bisphenols, from 1929 until 1971, and contaminated soil and waterways in the area. So... They got $600 million lawsuits uh, waiting for them there as well. But uh, that's a gangster system, you see. CEOs, corporations run the world, and they will still survive. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you. <laughs>